I don't even know how I have 40 followers on Twitter, to be honest with you. We're talking sports. I got two. Oh, you have two now. With a couple of guys you've never even heard of. I don't really understand it. It's, It's crazy. It's Moving the Goalposts. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend. Moving the Goalposts wherever you listen. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Moving the Goalposts. I'm your host, Nick Mara, joined by my co-host, Mike Masala. Mike, how are you now? I am doing great, brother. How are you? Not so bad. We're also joined by producer extraordinaire, Andrew Meehan. Meehan, what's up? What's going on? Will Smith smacked the shit out of Chris Rock. Yeah, that happened. No, nobody was watching the Oscars. We'll, we'll put that out there. Of the three of us, none, none of us were watching, but Mike and I were following along on Twitter as it was unfolding. Andrew, when you, when you heard, did you hear about it last night or this morning? No, I heard about it last night. So, I mean, I went to bed fairly early, had a very long day, and I woke up and, like, the first thing I looked at was a text from, like, uh, like a friend, like, group chat, and it said, does this mean Will Smith is not going to be in the YouTube Rewind this year? And I was just like, what the hell are they talking about? So I went to Twitter and dude, I stayed on Twitter for like maybe two hours, just watching like everything. And oh my God. It it was the equivalent to me of like when a big trade happens or rumors of a trade happening in in like a sports league where more information is is leaking out and you're getting different takes from different people. And then there's like Zapruder film video breakdowns of whether or not he was which, by the way, if somebody cocks their arm back, whether it's to punch you in the face or slap you in the face, you are going to flinch. If you know it's coming or if you don't know it's coming, you're going to flinch, yeah. which is what Chris Rock did. But anyway, this this is it's a bizarre story. I guess Denzel Washington, the un, uncertified hero or the unsung hero of the whole story, because he was the one that got Will Smith to calm down during the commercial break and realize that when you're at your highest, that's when the devil's coming after you. And then Will Smith goes on to accept the Best Actor Award. Like, nothing happened. Well, not like nothing happened. He was falling his eyes and apologizing. Everybody except Chris Rock. <laughs> it was one of those nights where you just, like, these are the nights that Twitter is made for. Like, these historical, culturally relevant events just, just make me laugh every time. You, you could refresh every two seconds, and there's a new meme. I, like, obviously being... The dog Twitter, it was like two, two, two defenders. Like, oh, two, two was not good anymore. Like, slap him in the face. Like, just classic, classic meme after meme every two seconds. It was awesome. Mike, when you found out about it last night, though, did you think that it was real or staged? Uh, I thought it was real right away because I, 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 as we were talking about before, the first video that I saw was I think like the Japanese version where they they showed like the full. Uh, confrontation and then didn't bleep out what will smith was yelling back at chris rock um so i i thought it was real right away uh, i i thought it was a punch at first that's what everybody was describing it as and then i saw it the did video sound like, like a slap it's it, it sounded like it was fake it sounded like somebody was off screen doing some like foley art and like punching something like, like pretending like, to make that sound it was more of right, a what than microphone a- was chris rock wearing was he wearing one of those lapel mics and as like the arm was coming over it like could have ran been. by and the wind. Yeah, that might have been. I mean, it's Hollywood, right? And the way it because you're 100 percent right. The first one that I saw was the edited version. So I'm like, oh, yeah. this is probably fake. Something weird happened. Like he walks up to him. He slapped. Yeah, it, it felt like a very uh, like Hancock moment. But I, I, I need to know what Denzel Washington was saying. I need to know what Coach Boone was in there just giving 
giving like the perfect calm down speech. I, I like I I need that and I need it right now. Left side, strong side. <laughs> man, you, you're a hundred. You're a hundred. You a hundred percent think though, man, that uh, that it was a real slap. You don't think it was staged in any way? Yeah, I mean, the first one I saw was the like, uh, what was it on ABC? Like the American broadcast version. So obviously, you see the slap. You don't, you know, then they dump all the audio. And then I heard the, I believe it was like the Japanese one or Australia one or whatever. And Will Smith is not like, he's he's legitimately yelling. And, uh, or act- before acting. Then, or acting. But even before then, like, it kind of looked like when uh, when it's off camera at first. But like, Will, uh, Chris Rock goes, oh, oh, man. And like, you pans to Will Smith walking onto the stage. And it kind of looks like Chris Rock is like leaning forward a little bit, but I think that was more just like a laughing, like lean kind of. And I'm like surprised that Will Smith had to like leave his feet a little bit. Like that was just like, Mm. like, yeah, let's, let's give (laughs) Will Smith a lot of credit for remembering. It seemed like he was recalling his uh, Muhammad Ali training because (laughs) it it was through the hips in there too. Oh, yeah. It was not a, a weak handed slap. It was he put weight yeah. behind it. Now, if you guys were Chris Rock, what would your reaction have been immediately after? I think Probably just exactly the stun. what it was. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the stunned <laughs> look that he had. In his, I don't know if I'm swinging back at Will Smith in front of everybody. I, I don't know if that's happening. I'm definitely not doing that, <laughs> but I'm also not doing nothing. I'm saying something like he kind of. He was like, it was a joke. And he's like, keep your what? Keep my wife's name out of your mouth. And he's like, I will. Okay. Like, but you could tell he had some other stuff in the chamber that was going through his brain that he wanted to say or didn't know what to say because afterwards he's fumbling around his words saying that they're giving out a documentary, even though they're giving out an Oscar for a documentary. But I I think the winner in this is, uh, is Chris Rock and, and he does. He is having a show with the Wilbur this week. He's. I think he's going to be there for like three weeks or three nights or something. Mm-hmm. So maybe that'll be uh, some some content that uh, that'll trickle out throughout the week. But not the biggest thing to happen over the course of the weekend. Real, at real least quick. In terms. Yeah. Sorry, I was um, on Twitter, and uh, I don't know if you guys know Boston Radio Watch Part Two at Boston Radio Two. Ah, uh, and he posted a video. This was actually. Do you guys remember? In 2016, Chris Rock uh, hosted, I believe it was the Oscars or something. He called out Jada Pickett-Smith then, too, because she was boycotting it. I haven't watched the whole video, but like, so there's a little, there's a history. There is background to this, to why maybe Mm. she was like, Will, get up there and slap the shit out of him. I mean, I like Will Smith. I like Chris Rock. I stopped liking Jada Pinkett when Gotham came out because I thought she ruined that show. And then that show was awful. It was awful from the start, but she was one of the major problems of it. That's when I stopped liking her. I also think that was my introduction to her. So I don't think I've ever liked her. (laughs) I actually thought she was in GI Jane, but it isn't. She's like, I thought that was like, at first I was like, is that like, I know why he's making the joke, but like, isn't she actually in it? And she, she isn't like, I had no idea what the joke was at first. I like when I first saw, cause I saw the slap first and then I saw the joke and I was like, I, I don't, I don't know if I get it. And then obviously it got explained through, through Twitter. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I don't know. Comedy is so weird to like try and uh, like limit different 
like what you're allowed to say. Like I think comedians in general have pretty much fair game to say whatever, as long as you're trying with, with the intent of trying to make people laugh. And, and that's, that's the tough part is you're always going to come across a group that gets offended by something. And I understand you can get offended by it, but like, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I see both sides of it. I still don't mind that Will Smith slapped him in the face. I, I think people that are freaking out over a, a slap on national TV. Did you see like, Stephen A? <laughs> yes, I did. Let's pull that tweet up. Let's pull that tweet up. Tagging the wrong Will Smith. That uh, was the parent- first part. Par- parenthetically tagging Chris Rock. That was that was wild. <laughs> Have a Twitter or something? And no, no, he did, but like he like put in parentheses at Chris Rock. I don't know why he did. <laughs> Oh wow! There's a lot more here than I than I imagined. <laughs> I, there's like five tweets. All right, here we go. We'll start it off. Twelve hours ago, please tell me I didn't see what I just saw. Somebody, please tell me that at Will Smith, wrong Will Smith, <laughs> was joking and it was part of the show when he just smacked at Chris Rock on national television. I'm Ben, y'all. Please tell me wrong. Smith seriously did that, and he wins the Oscar. He just stained the greatest moment of his career. You cannot do that expletive, especially as a black man in that position to another black man. And then, yeah, in parentheses, at Chris Rock <laughs> on that stage. If this was not a joke, Will won't live this down. Uh, and then, yeah, continues to go on. And he says, if the rock or someone like that, instead of Chris Rock would have done that shit. Oh, he what? The man I, has I honestly, Denzel and Bradley Cooper at- trying to come. Talk about his wife and GI Joe. That shit was embarrassing. A very, very bad look. Oh, Stephen A. Smith, national treasure. Here, here he is. Didn't know until just this. This was eleven hours ago. Didn't know until just this moment about Jada P. Smith having alopecia. She's wonderful and great. So is Will Smith, which we all know. They're both <laughs> phenomenal. But you do not do what Will did in that setting. Go backstage and handle that shit if you must. Horrible look. Well, we're on first take. I didn't even realize that both of them were black. Mm-hmm. It's tough. It's a tough yeah. look. I didn't even notice. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's it might be time for us to move on to the sports takes. And we've got some good sports takes that we can talk about. Uh, the last time we even talked about the Celtics may have been during the playoffs last year. Have we really mentioned the Celtics much this regular season? Yeah, I know can, that there was we might have. We, we mentioned a little bit of the like the, the Derek White acquisition at the trade deadline and they've, they've turned things around. But now things are getting kind of serious with the Celtics. I mean, that's the and thing. The There's nothing to really talk about. You know, like right. I was ready to blow this team up by like midway through the season. Figure out if you need Tatum or Brown and blow it up, baby. Egg on our face. My face, at least. But I don't I don't think that there's egg on our face for having those conversations, because when you're when you have an underachieving team that's played below 500 since the bubble against Miami, there are some things that will need to change. And I, I guess the biggest change for me is probably them buying into Udoka's emphasis on defense, because when they weren't playing super, super great, like at the beginning of the run that they've had since since January, they were defending really well. And now the offense is starting to catch up. And I think they've got the number one rating on defense and the number one rating on. on, on. They've been honestly like an unstoppable team. They're getting every team that they see by like 20. Every time you turn on the game, 
uh, they have a, a crazy lead going into halftime. Last night they were playing against against Minnesota. Carl Anthony Towns, one of the better big men in the league, looked like he was going gonna go off this game. And then you look back up at the screen, it's a 24 point lead. Like every night they're doing this to good teams to bet to first place in the East. And, and do I do I think that they're guaranteed any conference finals or even uh, an NBA finals? I, I don't think that just yet. But the way that they're playing right now, no, it doesn't think anybody's stopping because the, what they've done to all these teams, again, different calibers of teams in a row, they, they've been very impressive. The conversation can be anytime you've got that's just blowing out their opponents, whether they're good, whether they're bad on at home, on the road. It, it, the question comes down to in the playoffs when you're against that are better talent and you afford to rely on blowout wins and not be battle tested by the time the postseason comes because playoff basketball is very different than regular season basketball. It's much more of a half court game. It's, it's a lot. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's a lot slower, but things definitely slow down and you're, it's more, I don't know. Uh, I can't think of the word. It's actually carries over into right. the postseason. That's, that's the tough part. And the fact that you, you, would assume a lot of these teams will be playing better by then. Maybe you get like a full strength Nets, a full strength 76ers, the Heat finally heads out of their asses, and then who knows what happens in the West. That that is a, that's a very fair question. I just think with what they've shown us in this past couple months, it's been like a it's been a complete flip. And there's always a chance that they go back to that underachieving, not believing um one Injury takes it all away, obviously. Last night, Robert Williams got hurt. They don't really, they haven't really announced. Yeah, I know, shocking. Uh, Adoka said that he was feeling, he wasn't feeling great. So uh, that could all, that could change a whole lot of things. What, again, the defense has been so impressive. The, the end game to be a great defender. Marcus Smart and Robert Williams, like those are all NBA type defenders. Maybe not first team, but they're all all NBA type defenders. But these guys have all put it together right at the right time. Look at the seating, the way that the playoffs are now in the NBA. They've got the top six teams in both conferences are assured a spot in the first round of the playoffs. And then the, for the Celtics, it does something like that uh, give you a, a potential desire to manipulate the schedule and possibly change your seating so that you avoid Brooklyn in the first round. Cause I think that the nets are probably their, their biggest competition. Definitely. Uh, I think that, yeah, the nets are definitely that, that their toughest out right now. Um, just because of how much of like a, a random shoot the, the play in tournament is, that's the only reason like I'm, I, I want to get I want to get the first seed if if possible like that that should be that should be your goal. If Brooklyn's the best team in that play in in that play in, then they go in and they they can grab that seven seed and you don't even have to worry about them in the first round. Um, it, I would just I I would do what you can do now, control what you can control, and then if it happens to shake out that you get Brooklyn in the first round, like 
it's going to be tough, but I think you can still compete. Like it's not a, they're going to run you over in five series. I, I don't think that's happening. It, it's a, it's a competition of six or seven game. Like that's, that's what it should be. So me and are you at the point now where if the Celtics don't make it to the Eastern conference champion championship or the Eastern conference final, uh, this is a failure of a season. Is it too greedy that I want them to like make it to the finals? No, I think that's because very, like, very fair. Like, here's my standing. So, like, we've seen like under Brad Stevens, like what five Eastern Conference championship appearances? Five like, or like six, three I in think. His first four years. So three in his first four years. Like, yeah. And I know he's now the GM and it's um Ime, you know, Doka is now the new head coach, so it's a new regime. Same majority of the same core guys, though. Smart and Tatum and Brown, and you bring back Al Horford, so that throws another one to the mix who was, you know, it, during uh, a big part of, you know, even uh, the Isaiah Thomas days. Like, I've seen that before, and I know you have a new head coach, and I know you finally, like, got it going, uh, and you, you, you found your team identity at at the right time, probably at the last, you know, not at the last second, but for not too late. You found it not too late for you to go on this incredible run to where you're putting, you're putting clinics on every night, you know, the past two weeks that anybody's probably watched the Celtics, but like, it's just, for me, it's like, it's these same core guys. And like, like I've, I've seen it before with them. I like get to the finals, at least get to the finals. I've seen Eastern Conference championships appearances before for Tatum, Brown, and Smart. I like I need them to get to that next level, and there's there's really no reason why they can't. They're a team that absolutely should. There's really no excuses as to why they probably like they can't get there, except for they just got to stay healthy. That's my only concern with this team right now. My only concern. Oh, all right. So if you know, ask the question about manipulating seeding and possibly trying to avoid certain teams in certain rounds. If that comes at the expense, and I'm using air quotes for the term expense for those who can't see because this is a podcast and we don't do video. Uh, managing injuries, the not load, load management. That's what they call it. <laughs> load management. Robert Williams, I think they have, what, 10 games left to go on this team, something like that? Yeah, like 10 or 11. Does he have to play, does he have to play in every single one of them? There's a guy who... Uh, for the first three, four years of his career, he was constantly getting injured or there was always something going on. The reason that he couldn't be on the floor, this has been by far his best season of his career. And the, I don't think those two are mutually exclusive. So you're going to need to have a healthy Robert Williams, not only for the start of the postseason, but entire postseason. Um, I don't know yeah, if I mean, you really need, I don't know if you need to rest Brown and Tatum, but, one of the criticisms that you could say about Udoka throughout the course of the year has been his 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 lack of depth on the he doesn't really go to his bench that much. His rotations are very small and those guys don't play a lot of minutes. So you could make the argument that giving Brown and Tatum some extra rest at the end of the year uh, also might not be such a bad thing. Should also prepare them for the postseason when your benches do tend to get shorter for most teams. You're, you're, you are you already all know your roles. You're used to what you're going to do. You're going to get out there. You're going to have your six, seven guys um, who play who play a majority of the minutes, and then you, you sprinkle some guys in there later on. Uh, that that's 
I, I think Udoka's done a really solid job this season. Uh, it's definitely weird thing is with this team is they have expectations now. Like there are expectations on this team and there haven't been for years. It's kind of been the happy go lucky Celtics green team or fans like, Oh, we're, we're just happy to be there. It's another fun, exciting team to watch. But now you have the, you have to get into the conference finals. And I think most people are saying that now you have to get there, at least get there and you should be competitive there. And I really like what Andrew's saying about how this is a team that's made it to conference finals in the past. They've taken steps back in the past season and a half that just by back to the conference finals, they will have satisfied what, what they should be. They still, they do need to get better. They need to, they can't get back to where they were. They still need to take that next step. Chances that Ime Udoka wins coach of the year. Better than 80%. If the Celtics finish with the top seed in the East. I, I think he should. I don't know if he will. Uh, the the watching watching the Timberwolves last night, I didn't even know who their coach was. That was the first time I ever heard that guy's name, Mike Finch, <laughs> so, something like that. I, I've never I've never heard of him. Um, Miles Finch. My, <laughs> it's just I. There are so many random teams that I think uh, kind of come out of nowhere to and have their coaches win win those awards. But I think a team that has kind of completely reset with the new head coach, I think that's deserving. And rookie head coach, this is his first uh, first time behind the bench as, as the head right, guy. Well, right. I guess so much for Robert Williams playing anything in the rest of the regular season. He's got a torn meniscus, according to Shams. That's literally it's literally the worst. The, the, the one thing we were talking about is the health of this team. And Robert Williams, who, again, has been incredibly defensive, incredible defensively, uh, has really come into his own this season. First, again, you mentioned the first season he's really been healthy in his full career. Uh, this this sucks. Yeah, and like meniscus tear, like that's a serious injury. He's he's gonna miss the postseason if if that's what they confirm it is. Yeah. Well, I think it might be like a six week injury because that would require surgery. But I don't know what the recovery process would be. So if there's still how many weeks left in the regular season? There's seven games. Uh, I think April like third. I think it's like the last game. April. Oh, wow. So, yeah, we only have like a week left to go in the regular season. April 10th is the last game, it says. All right. So maybe like a week and a half, two weeks. You get two weeks of injury and then maybe maybe he could be back by the conference final. I mean, let's re re uh, redo the question or the the conversation that we had for the last like 40 minutes. If the Celtics don't have Robert Williams, does that mean that they should? Should the Celtics still be able to get to the conference final without Robert Williams in the lineup? road gets a little tougher, but I mean, I still don't really see it out of the question. I think it definitely impacts. We, we just, we had just talked about literally, I think the last thing we had just talked about was how the rotations and, and um, the amount of players you have, you, everybody knows their role. This is something they haven't had to deal with this season. And we were talking uh, a second ago about Al Horford being a Daniel Tice. Those, those are your, now your big men. And, that that's not the best situation to be in. So I, it like I I can't see them now making it to the finals. I I could still see them potentially being in the Eastern Conference Finals, but I I don't know if they're the favorite in the East still. So tough news to get, but glad we got it while we were still recording. Otherwise, that all would have been a waste. <laughs> it's it seems to continuously happen where it's either right when we're recording or right after. 
10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning on a Monday is, is can be a difficult time because news will break. But I think we, we've done a pretty decent job lately of of keeping an eye on what's going on while we're recording. So shout out to you, Mike, for catching that. Got you. Uh, moving on, though, to the other team that plays in the TD Garden, uh, another team that seems to have turned things around. The Bruins were never really out of it but they were never as close to being one of the top teams in the league as they have been over the last several weeks. Uh, and I think that the number one thing to talk about for them is the trade deadline was about a week ago. They did not trade Jake DeBrusque. As a matter of fact, they signed him to a two-year extension uh, to lower his cap value for a, a qualifying offer that would have to be picked up in the summer. And, he wasn't moved on, and I think that was a panic move. I think they were trying to move him, and it, having a, an extension in place might have made him easier to move because the contract would have been known, but nothing ever ended up working out. So a little bit disappointed that Sweeney couldn't couldn't swing that trade. Um, not sure what, what type of impact he'll be able to have on the team you know, throughout the rest of the regular season and into the postseason. He's a streaky guy, and he's playing with Bergeron and Marchand, which... Everybody plays well with those two. Right. The, the, the biggest news is uh, the acquisition of defensemen from the Anaheim Ducks, Hampus Lindholm. Have you guys gotten an opportunity to watch him since uh, since he's come back to Boston? He is Only a uh, he's a big boy. He's a big boy. He's a big guy. Built can push people around. But he's not a super physical guy, and and then you don't think you really need that. A guy who's going to be bashing heads against the wall. You just need someone who's strong enough and can can make space in front of the net. And the way that Swayman's been playing is uh, is very encouraging. I do think that the Bruins are looking at a possible long run, and I know that is a very 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 couched way of saying it. But I don't necessarily think it's because of who they have. I think it's because the competition. Across the rest of the conference, it's good, but it's all pretty much the same. There's not one dominant team. There is no Tampa Bay Lightning this year. Yeah, they're kind of all hovering around the same uh, in the standing. It's not like like you said, there's no one breaking away. Um, having the combination of McAvoy and Lindholm playing together, being able to take out a team's top line, that that's going to be an immense uh, prospect. This this. this coming into the playoffs right now. Like you have two guys who are going to completely shut down kind of like they did um, this past, was it Thursday, the last game? Was that the uh, Saturday? I think they played Saturday, Saturday. Yeah. So like, if you, if you're able to, to do stuff like that, like this is going to be a, a great, something like we've been talking about it for years. This is, defense has been the issue of the Boston Bruins defense and secondary scoring. They've, they've been able to, to at least solve one of those issues for now. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't necessarily again, kind of like I said with the Celtics, I don't see them being a uh, championship contender, but I think they should be in contention for the East. I mean, I definitely think that the Celtics are closer to a championship than the Bruins are. But the nature of the sport in hockey, if you get hot at the right time, you can you can go deep. You can right. make a run. You could have a goalie who just stands on his head for a year and then isn't the starter like the year after or two years after. Yeah. You know, another thing that Boston has been doing a lot uh, better lately than they were at the beginning of the season is secondary scoring that that Charlie Coyle, Trent Frederick, Craig Smith line 
is a matchup against third lines and fourth lines that you can really exploit because you've got guys that are talented and have skill but still play with that grit that's required in a third line role. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's again, the number one the one or two thing we've, we've been talking about. And, and now that they've been able to kind of split up that that perfection erection line and, and kind of have a little bit of everything coming from from all these different lines, it's, it, it does feel like they're they're in a good spot. And I think uh, that that Lindholm deal specifically, I think that does a lot for uh, for your GM. Like he, I think he was on the hot seat, and uh, oh, yeah. maybe that maybe that could save his job. Yeah, and I think signing the extension, he signed an eight year extension, so he's going to be in Boston for a very very long time till he's about thirty five, thirty six, which I don't think is going to be a bad thing. Uh, but it, it seemed like Sweeney made a move that was not only trying to help this team, but help him save his job. Uh, Andrew, if you were going to just based on like what you've seen from from the team throughout the year or the last couple of weeks, if, if you were going to be uh, have a pause or a cause for concern in the postseason and having it not be like injury, what would you say is the number one thing that that the Bruins are facing that could derail them in the playoffs? I mean, it's really been what their biggest weakness has been all season. It's their defense. And I know that's they fill a pretty big hole with that with Hampus Lindholm. And, I mean, what you guys were saying about Sweeney earlier, that's two pretty good uh, trade deadlines in a row for Sweeney now with the acquisition of Hall and uh, Riley last year and now uh, uh, Hampus Lindholm. I know you filled it with, with, with uh, Lindholm and your defense got better, but there are still some shades where I'm like, it's not really swaying and letting up that goal. Like it's that's that's my biggest concern. But I mean, let's. I mean, what we've only had home went home for what one or two games now. I so, think two games. Yeah, it was the uh, the six three win against the Islanders, and then yeah, uh, the game against Tampa, mm-hmm. right? Three two win against Tampa. Yeah, so uh, I'm feeling which, pretty good about the defense. I mean, with those two teams, it's Tampa. You know, it's a good. It's a that was a good test for them. That was a good team to beat. So. Yeah, it was a good, good, good way for him to start off his Bruins career, and he played well in that game. He had an assist on a on a good breakout pass where he was able to protect the puck and and, and move it up ice, which is something that this team may have been lacking. And and I do like the aspect of now the the defenseman, the seventh defenseman for them that's going to be like sitting up on nine is going to be a left shot D, and it's going to be probably depending on matchup Forbert or Riley. If you're playing against a team that's you know, going to require your your D to be a little bit more active and move the puck a little bit more and you need some more speed, go with Riley. If you're playing against a team that's a little bit more physical and you need a little bit more uh, size and strength in your lineup, you go with Forbert. And and it gives you the flexibility of, of bringing different lineups out there to adjust in a playoff series. That way you're not just trying to bash your head up against the wall doing the same thing over and over and over again. And it was kind of something that they've talked about for, for years now, it, even going back to like the, the final few years with Claude, like this is a team that was, was a too physical and not fast enough for, for the sport of hockey or, and then, and then you switch over to Cassidy's team and, Oh, they can't handle the physicality of some of the teams that they're playing against. So you're right. That, that is uh, an underrated piece of, of value, obviously like, how much effort, how much uh, impact is like the, the seventh defenseman going to have, but it, it is, it, it, it could, it could make a, a real big difference uh, in this team, especially playing in front of a goalie who 
yeah, he's been great so far. I think everybody has, uh, he's shown a lot of people wrong, including myself. I wasn't sure he was going to start off as, as hot as he's been, but he still, he still hasn't, you fool still hasn't been tested in the playoffs yet. So I, I think having any extra advantage at that point will, will benefit them. If there's a cause for concern for me, it's that they didn't get a second line center. I know that Howell has been playing really well with Hall and, and Pasternak and, I think that has to do primarily with Hall and Pasternak, but at some point you're probably going to be exposed for your lack of depth down the middle and, and your inability to have high end players match up against other teams, high end players. But no, the Bruins have been a lot of fun to watch. I'll be honest. I haven't watched. I still haven't watched a lot of the Celtics lately, but I have been watching a lot more of the Bruins and, both teams are a fun product. Like when you turn the TV on, it's, it's an entertaining game. It, it's like watching sports again. Right. It's like pre-pandemic sports, at least. That's what it feels like to me. Do you guys have any final takes on the Bruins or the NHL in general? Not that I can think of. Well, the Red Sox made a big splash, kind of. Would you qualify? Would you quantify? Trevor Story is a big splash. Definitely. Okay. He's playing second base this year. The only question that I really care about with him, is because I we can talk about him being in, in Colorado and playing at Coors Field and how the numbers might be inflated, but I think the number one question about Trevor Story is, did they sign him as a shortstop or did they sign him as a quote-unquote middle infielder with the idea that Bogarts will be around long-term? I think they signed him as a shortstop, and I don't like what that means. <laughs> Uh, as a big Bogarts guy, I think this is, this is going to be probably the end of that unless he takes like a super friendly, a a team friendly deal and moves to second. And those are two big asks. Um, I think you put him in a position right now where uh, he's obviously has the ability to opt out at the end of the season and he's playing shortstop. Obviously that's a higher paid position in, in today's baseball, in today's MLB than the second base position is. So he'll be able to, say that he can go out and get more money on the market. So if he does end up leaving, he'll, he'll, he'll uh, benefit from that. But I, th- yeah, I think this kind of spells the end for, for Xander Bogarts in Boston. And I don't like that at all. Yeah. It's, I mean, I know he's played second before and I'm talking about Trevor story. So, <laughs> but I don't know. It just, everything about it reads into they're trying to, they're, eventually going to move on for Bogarts. I mean, are they going to sign Devers? It's, I just feel like you made a signing where, okay, it's good for the batting rotation defense wise. Okay. Did you really need a a shortstop though? You couldn't have paid the one that you already have and acquire something (laughs) defensively. What do you need? What do you need more? A shortstop or a first baseman? Defensively, you need a first base. The biggest thing is, is like, in an ideal world, Story would come in this year. Story would play shortstop. Xander moves to second. That's that's the ideal thing. Like I love Xander. He he. I don't think his he's as poor defensively as everybody else seems to think. But yeah. he he like Trevor Story is a is a really really solid defensive shortstop. So uh, that that is the best that is the best position for your team to be in. Uh, but like like I said, everything everything that they're doing right now kind of leads me to think that that's going to be the way that they're going to go. And they'll probably end up paying uh, a guy like Devers. They could, in theory, 
if Xander doesn't want to play second for whatever reason, maybe that's his own thing. Uh, save, save his legs, DH him. I mean, you're coming out after the season. JD Martinez isn't on the books anymore. That's that's always an option. See, I, I look at the left side of the Red Sox infield, meaning Devers in, at third and Bogarts at short, and say, thinking to myself, you don't need to change anything there. Is the defense great with both of them? No, but the bat is. And you've got a right-handed hitter who can hit for contact and hit for power, and you've got a left-handed hitter who can hit for contact and hit for power that are still young and can continue to be cornerstones of your franchise. How old is Bogarts? 29, 28, something like that? Like, Yeah. He's not old. He's certainly not old. But Devers, to me, is the one that I would be more willing to move around, whether it's put him to first base or put him at DH. Or I would like to get him off of third base. And if that means that Story still stays at, at second and Bogarts is still at short, then fine. If that means that Bogarts is willing to move from short to third, which is something that we've seen him do in the past, the beginning of his career, and you put Story at shortstop, then fine. We got that too. The key for me, and this is, it's actually fun to talk about because it's something that we haven't been able to do for the last like five or six years. They've got a couple of prospects in their system that are middle infielders that are going to be really good. And they're probably only a year or two away. So that's the difficult decision that you have to make. It's do we sign Bogarts long-term or do we let him walk knowing that we've got someone like Marcelo Mayer who's going to be coming in, who is projected to be the top overall pick in last year's draft or, or Nick York, who's a middle infielder that they had drafted a couple of years ago that seems to be moving up the system pretty well. I think both those guys, they want to try and keep in the minor leagues for the entire year this year, which is why they went out and got story. Bogarts to me though, you, you still need, you got to bring him back. You have to bring him back. If that means you move on from, from somebody else, or if that means that you move on from one of those two prospects and you get pitching help, that's going to help you this year. I would do that. But I think they're at least in a good position where they can, they can take the first two months of the regular season and see where they are. Right. That I mean, you, you see them. Sorry. So moving on from someone else, like who would you who would you suspect them to move on from more Bogarts or Devers? Or who would you who would you be OK with moving on from? Because I don't see them signing both of them after this, after the Trevor story thing. You're I right. Don't. I agree. I agree with that. I think you'd probably get more for Devers. Right. If, if you were going to do a straight up trade because he's got he's under team control for a little bit longer and younger, he's a younger player. Yeah. Yeah, I think you would get more for Devers. But I think that it's more realistic to move on from Bogarts because at least you have his replacement. You don't really have a replacement for Devers yet. Well, I don't I don't know if they do, at least. Right. Right. And Tristan yeah. Casas kind of plays a little piece of this is into this as well, because you've got Dahlbeck right now, who's your starting first baseman. We're all assuming that Casas is going to be ready to go probably around like May, June, sometime like around then. Um, so then you've got Dahlbeck that's just sitting around and taking up space. Like, could you get something for him? You got Dahlbeck, you got Jaron Duran, like all these guys who have like coming up supposed to be big prospects and they may have found themselves without a place to play. Although you also, I was thinking about this last night. I was, I was, uh, talking about the Red Sox with a couple people like Jaron Duran. Would you rather have Jaron Duran or Jackie Bradley play right now? Like I would Jared rather Durant. the I would I'd rather, rather the Durant. prospect of Jared yeah. Duran see what he is and 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 then move you can make your decision from there. 
Did you guys but, see yesterday? That dude is speed. Yeah. Duran's legs is freaking like in. Uh, whoa. The speed Touch was great, out. but I just I love the base running awareness to say like this yeah. ball is carrying. It's taking the, the outfielder onto the warning track as momentum is pulling him in the other direction. And Very I've got the speed to not just get to third, but to get home. Right. Like that's the type of stuff that you you don't see from a lot of players. And this is a spring training game. He's making that move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like they have they have a lot of good pieces there, and I think they they should be competitive. Obviously, it comes down to whatever happens with the pitching at the end of the day. Um, Sale's going to be out for a decent amount of time again, um, and then you you kind of go up and down the rotation. And you see these guys. I'm like, oh, Rich Hill's here again. Oh, Michael Walk is here. He was good eight years ago. Uh, oh, yeah, James look- Paxton's here. He'll, he'll be healthy in September. <laughs> look, looking at the uh, the d- depth chart that they have on ESPN's site for the Red Sox, this is their starting rotation, their five man rotation. Chris Sale, who's currently on the injured list. Nathan Avaldi, who I feel confident about, even though he he's another guy that's got had injury history. Last year, to me, was kind of uh, an indication that I think he's over the injuries, but again, knock on wood, who who knows? Uh, your third starter is Nick Pavetta, who had some great outings in the postseason last year, but I don't necessarily know if I want him as my number three starter. Tanner Houck is slotted in at number four and walk is number five. So yeah, without sale, they with sale, I would say they would need to get an arm. God, right. I completely forgot Erod moved on. Where did Erod yeah. go to uh, Chicago? Or no, I'm sorry, Detroit. Wow, yeah. just forgot about that. Or just remember that. It's, it's, yeah, they 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 needed to replace him, and and they they did the the high and bloom thing. Uh, I won't say that's a negative or a positive. Who you can make your own decision own decision on that. But take it how you want it. <laughs> yeah, you're Michael Walker, Rich Hill. You're kind of just hoping one of those guys. Rich Hill's like 45, and he's played with the Red Sox like nine times. Yeah, so you, <laughs> you can kind of you can kind of see which ways that which way that's going. But the the regular season is so different than the playoffs, and and now that they have the universal DH, I think the game this year's game is probably going to be uh, a little bit different than it was two years ago in the in the COVID shortened season when they didn't have a DH and they only played 60 games. So how teams manage their pitching staffs in the American league is probably not going to be very different, but in the national league, it certainly will. But does that mean that you're going to have better bullpens now because you've got one less pitcher on your, you've got one extra hitter on your roster and one less pitcher or so there may be some trickle down is, is what I'm saying to the designated mm-hmm. hitter being in both leagues. Um, what do you guys think about the ghost runner? I love it. Getting rid of it, right? No, they got bring, rid of are it. They bring you back. No, I, they got rid of it in Did the trainings, get... right? No, yeah, you're talking about the the man on second rule. Yeah, yeah, they I got think, rid of it. I think they got rid of it. Really? Yeah, Shit, we're going. Maybe I had them mixed up. We're going back to old school baseball. The only progress that they made was universal DH and bringing in the pitch clock for next year. And a bigger basis. Don't forget about that. The most important thing everybody was asking for, bigger bases. That's what we need to fix baseball. Have you seen the pictures of the bases? No, I haven't. <laughs> They're like 30% bigger, but it doesn't make a single difference. It's like looking at, it's honestly, it's like looking at a, 
Uh, I can't even think of an example anymore. I feel like 30% is a big increase. It's it. You can see that it's bigger. The point we're going to make the game better. I don't know, because as we've kind of had the conversation, what does it do? Is it supposed to encourage more stolen bases? How? Because the path from first to second is shorter. Well, I mean, you say the same thing about the throw now because the base is bigger. The guy who's true. going to be fielding the throw is now closer to the ball. True. That makes that makes sense. I actually didn't think about it that way. So you you actually you've actually calmed my argument. I was going to say the the ninety feet thing. It's it's been very impressive. And one of one of the more under discussed things in baseball is how close. Even though everybody's like humans have sped up, throws have sped up how every play is still kind of bang bang like you mm. get a lot of those plays it it and it's and it's happened for 120 years 140 years whatever how long baseball has been around that was my that was my only concern is you're not going to have those bang play, bang bang plays anymore they they're just going to be outs yeah but like like you said they they are a little close now to the throw it makes it makes sense the i don't only, get i don't get what it does though still so the only that, the only thing that i could reasonably say a bigger base is going to give a clear advantage to the offense is on a bang bang play where the guy is sliding into the base, whether it's head first, feet first, doesn't really matter, but let's say for the sake of an argument, it's head first. He's going for a head first slide on the outside portion of the bag and the throw carries the fielder to the opposite side of the bag. And now he has to catch the ball and reach over tag it's going to be a further reach because the base is bigger right. and the, the runner is going to have an easier time of sliding to that corner. Right. Yeah. They brought the ghost runner back. They Originally did? it was going to be killed off in the new CBA, but it's, it, it's back now. It's a thing in extra innings. Okay. So can you tell us exactly what the, the stipulations are? Is it to start extra innings Hold right on. away? There's a runner on second. Hold on. I, I, let me, Give me a second and bring it back up in front yeah, of Yeah, because I, I, I was under the impression yeah. that they had axed it all together because I thought that players were complaining about like statistics not working properly. I just read one article that says originally it was killed in the new CBA, but because of the shortened spring training, they brought it back for this year to shorten up games, which I'm fine with. Like, I, like I'm oh, yeah. perfectly okay with that. You know, to start in extra innings. It's, uh, like, I know you're shaking your head. To... Talk to me when you actually have to like when the baseball game that's going on is for more than just entertainment purposes and you can leave whenever you want or stop watching no, whenever you that, want. That, that is, that is fair. I, I just, you know, ba baseball purist in me the old school curmudgeon, the get my peanuts and cracker jacks guy is it wants, wants the full, if you don't like baseball, don't watch it. like that. That's what we're getting. It's not watching it. It's working in it. <laughs> it's the people that work in it that want you, it to you speed think, up. You think John Henry and the owners who didn't want to pay any of the guys who were working it, like they care about anybody? Well, in extra innings, all the concessions are shut down anyway. So who cares if it goes five, six, right. seven hours, right? Exactly. So, what I'm saying. <laughs> so this is from uh, the Union Democrat. I don't know. It's the one, like the first thing that just popped up, but the rules are legitimate. Um, Da, 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 da. They, I'm sure they are. Uh, so when a game's tied after nine, there's one single half inning of extras. A runner will be placed on first with nobody out. The home team then gets to choose to play offense or defense, pick offense. And it's simple. You win if you bring the runner in, but if you can't score the runner, and then the team in the uh, in timeout. The the <laughs> what? <laughs> Can I have the URL to this address again? <laughs> That's got to be. 
that's got to be it. I'm not saying you're wrong. I think if that's the rule, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so that the home team gets to choose whether they want to hit first or field first. Why would they ever want to field first? You would always want last at bat, wouldn't you? In I extra innings? So. Yes. I mean, this isn't like a, a shootout in hockey where you can get momentum by scoring on the first shootout attempt. You're talking about an entire half inning of baseball. Here's here's from USA Today. MLB will again have a ghost runner on second base beginning in the 10th inning of all regular season extra inning games, which the players union uh, wanted. The ghost runner also had the support of managers and GMs, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I liked it when they first initially announced it. I thought it, and I thought it makes it more interesting, which is another thing that they're trying to do and something that the MLB seems to be struggling at is making the game shorter, but then also making it entertaining to watch. Uh, I'm trying to find like an official. So Masala, as far as the ghost runner on second and extra innings, the games that you watched where that happened, did you, did you find them to be less entertaining or less legitimate or like, was it, was it strictly the, this isn't how I've watched my baseball for the last 27 years. I mean that that's pretty much what it was. It was like it, watching the game. I was like, okay, I, I guess it's fair for both sides. This is what's going to happen for both sides. But like, I don't know. It's just something about it. Like, like seven inning doubleheader. And I know that's a little different because it's completely changing like the entirety of the game. Yeah. But I, I don't know. There's just something about it. like there's uh, so many things that need to be fixed in, in in sports, and I just don't think I think they're, they're trying to to do it for marketing purposes. They're trying to do it for people who don't watch baseball. They're trying to get them to watch baseball. No, I think they're doing it to save baseball. It's not for the people who aren't watching it. It's for the people who are watching it that don't want to watch it anymore because it's, it's taking That's the them... two groups. Right. That's the two groups. There's the ones that have watched it forever and are sick of the same product because it's not changing and the MLB does nothing to change it. And then there's the group like our age or younger or whatever millennials, if you want to call it, whoever you want to call it, that obviously grew up with it and probably like starting, you know, I don't know, Nick, that started probably for what you like in the early 2000s is when you probably started retaining all, oh, 304, when you started to, you know, be able to retain that information in the old brain and the development and all that. So like, obviously they're just, again, that group is older than us. They've been around and they were around in the prime time of the game, you know, like during, you know, the steroid era, you know, if we want to sum up in that, you know, in that uh, context, if you will. Um, because again, this isn't the only, this isn't the first time that pace, baseball has been on the brink of like, you know, this, you, you could argue that the steroid era saved baseball. So there's just two different groups that the MLB is trying to please, but they're not trying. That's kind of the thing. That's why I like the Ghost Runner. It makes it faster. I mean, I wish they would do seven inning doubleheaders, but the seven inning doubleheader, I I could go without playing an extra two innings for me, making it a nine inning baseball game. That it, that to me is you're not like like Mike said, you're not changing as much. But we don't really get doubleheaders anyway. Like not scheduled doubleheaders. It's usually from a, a rain out the night before or or some type of cancellation in a, on a prior part of the schedule. Double headers aren't scheduled like they used to be. I they are, also but I mean, if you get them, then it change. Sorry, go ahead, Mike. No, I was just gonna say I also like the the quirkiness of once at once every few months there's gonna be an 18 inning game, like and everybody's staying up to watch it at three o'clock in the morning. Right, I agree with that, 
But what happens when that game is being played on April 4th? I mean, the fan, the fans who will watch it will watch it. But there won't be. A, a, <laughs> I, I agree with you. I enjoy it. Like sometimes those West Coast games that start at 10 and they don't end until like three or four o'clock in the morning. Like that's cool. Think about the World Series against the Dodgers a few years ago. The, you had an 18 inning game in that World Series. Yeah, I fell asleep. Yeah. I think I fell asleep in the 17th inning or the 16th <laughs> inning. Like that that's a game that's a game that that gets remembered. Like it's What was the final the chance- score? It gets remembered. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's but it's a moment. Why does it get remembered? Because, because it was, it was a long eight- game. Because it was an 18 inning game. It's worth in in the World Series, are you going to remember an 18, 18, uh, 18 inning game in the middle of friggin' July? No, nobody's going to care about that. You you might not even remember an eighteen inning game in like the ALDS. The only other eight, I, like I, the only other game that I remember going that I like always like have drilled in my mind is with the Paw Sox because it's the first time it ever freaking happened. That's the only other time that I like will remember it. What it went like twenty two innings, I think. Thirty three. 33 it, it's sacrilege that i don't even know that off the top of my head but yeah, that's, that like, that's the thing super sacrilege super sacrilege but again like so i'm supposed to care about if that happens in the middle of like august in the dog days i don't give a shit like world series though now we're talking like this is interesting like this is you know Re- that's regular, why i remember that regular season baseball is it's it's a much different animal than postseason baseball if you want to grind out at bats in the postseason and use 12 different pitchers in the postseason and have a nine inning game last four and a half hours. Go right ahead. I still don't think it's the best thing for the sport, for the viability of the sport. But if you're going to at least say the postseason is going to be the true representation of what baseball is fine for 162, though, we can change some things up. I don't think it has to be the exact same, the exact, exact same. I mean, look at the NFL. The NFL has different rules in the playoffs than it does in the regular season when it comes to overtime, at least. Yeah, everybody hates them. I don't think, you know. <laughs> no, yeah, well, the only people that hate them are the ones who lose and crucial games to it. Right. right. So. <laughs> oh, boys. Speaking of NFL, there's we don't have a lot to talk about. Was there coaches meetings or something going on? Mm-hmm. Uh, they just came out with a picture of all the coaches together, m- minus Belichick, of course. Uh, how's Mike McDaniel looking? He looks great. Front he, row. He's probably feeling great. He's got a new wide he's receiver. A stud. Freaking nerd. Let, let, let's talk about the Miami Dolphins for just a quick second. Oh, God. What they have done this offseason has – we talked about saving GM's jobs earlier. Chris Greer of the Miami Dolphins has saved his job. They brought in two starting offensive linemen. They traded for one of the best wide receivers in the game. You can argue whether or not your quarterback has the ability to make the most use out of him, but they're doing the most that they can to surround Tua Tungabailoa with competent pieces to find out whether or not they have the quarterback. And I can't say the same for a certain GM up in New England right now who is not putting the best talent around his quarterback or surrounding him with uh, people who can block for him and find out whether or not he is a quarterback of the future. But what Miami's doing right now, this is this has been one of the one of the better off seasons I've seen. Well, Mike, you can even stay in the division. Who was the other team that was challenging for the rights of Tyreek Hill? It was the Jets. It was the Jets. And what do they have? A young quarterback who mm-hmm. needs mm-hmm. help. What is the mm-hmm. one thing that the Patriots have not been able to do so far? 
get Mac Jones help on offense. Now, but we did we did that in the first offseason with him before we actually even had we exactly. But that's the thing is we got the quarterback help. We didn't get Mac Jones help because if we had drafted someone like uh, I don't know if Davis Mills has a stronger arm, but if we had drafted someone with a different skill set, maybe those receivers would work better with them. Someone like Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne and Nikhil Harry, it's it's not really helpful for Mac Jones because they're not creating a lot of separation. Right, but that's the thing. In my eyes, like Mac, what I saw him do with that in his first year with that group last year, I like he just needs a number one, and I, I like that. That's like that's a huge and a number. Thing he needs have. a number one and a number two. He but the number, but two. but either one of those could come from a tight end. Like if Hunter Henry becomes his number one or number two receiver, I'm fine with that. But I think, I think, and like, I think, all right, Kendrick Bourne, I think, has that ability to have a leap year and become a number two. And I think Myers is your number three. They're both, they're both, the relationship that they have now with Mac, I think it's going to increase a lot more. It's going to, it's going to get better. So if you just have that number, like, if you take Nikhil Harry out of that equation, and I, I'm having prayer circles every night that it finally effing happens this year. Like you take him out and you draft a guy, whether it's you know from uh, from Alabama or you know it's a pretty receiver friendly. Regardless, if he picks the best one, it can't be as worse as picking you know Nikhil Harry out of that bunch in 2019. So if you just at least get him that number one, it's going to open things up for Aguilar. It's you know they're gonna you're gonna play a team where they might have to double whoever that number one is, and then it's taken off Aguilar. The slots open up for Bourne and and uh, and Myers. Oh, my God, just please take Nikhil Harry out of that spot. I, like, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm ready. I have my helmet. I'm all set. Put me in, coach. But that's all that he needs. Like, Tua, there's no more excuses for Tua. It's like, it's go or no. Like, if uh, I don't know, take that saying however you want to do it. There's actually, no more excuses I, for him. That's year it. three, year three, no more excuses. And I wouldn't even say that that's GM's job is saved yet. Look at Belichick. Like he he made he made a, like a sh- you know I know like what Mike I think Miami spent like twenty more million dollars this year in the offseason than the Patriots did last year mm-hmm. or whatever. Oh, that wow. they were ten and seven. A where good did, thing or but a where bad? Because I'm a little. We were ten and seven. Was it good that they went ten and seven the Patriots with with Mac Jones in his first year? Would that help or? Oh, I thought it was better? really with a rookie quarterback. I thought it was really good. But are people still? Are people in this region still thrilled with Belichick? Like, is that okay? Is that enough? Like, are you hearing like, oh, it's great. We're in a good position. No. You know, like, we haven't even gotten to the draft yet. I'm not freaking out yet, but it's like, it was good, but was it enough? Was it where you should have been? No. I don't think Chris Greer has the expectation level that Bill Belichick does, though. So we're we're holding, I think, I think. Much lower. I, I think we're holding Belichick to a higher standard because as general manager or coach, whatever you want to say, but his job with the Patriots has been to win championships and he's done that. Chris Greer's job is to get the team into the freaking playoffs, mm-hmm. like start with winning the division. So his right. bar is much, much lower. I'm, I'm it's, also it's, at. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was just agreeing. I'm also at the point right now where. And I've been known to ride the wave of uh, of Patriots fandom. Uh, with, Not anymore, with the, Dolphins. <laughs> with the emotions, uh, I I am 
very nervous about this year. I am very, very nervous because last year you went 10 and seven with a schedule that was uh, easier just in general. It was just an easier schedule than what they're playing this year. Uh, You have moved on from arguably your best player on offense in Shaq Mason. Uh, You brought back Trent Brown, which is good. Uh, But, but the rest, the rest of the group, there's, there's not a whole lot going on there. You lost JC Jackson. And your replacements have been a guy who hasn't played football in a year and a guy who played with the Texans, which I guess is technically playing football. Um, and you have no linebackers again. You, you, you're in a position, you have a lot of work to do. And, and they could do it by the, by the time the year starts. But I am very nervous for, for what's happening right now is between the, yeah. the coaching staff and the roster. It doesn't, I don't feel comfortable. Well, I think well, we're building up for a big draft. I hope so. Well, that's we haven't even like it's not like they need you know they still need to field the team. This isn't it. That's why I'm not freaking out yet. Like they can even make a trade at the uh, at the draft. Like, we don't know. But that's, well, we've seen yeah. so many people have talked about uh, that there have been so many reports that Belichick and the Patriots are acting like Tom Brady's still there. They're acting like they're still the Super Bowl champion Patriots. We can go and find these. Uh, these veterans in free agency in two more weeks and say, "Hey, your market hasn't come, hasn't panned out. We want you back." Like that, there. This isn't happening anymore. Like the, those those guys who are in those situations want a money or b a place to win. How do you and guys I don't think feel you're getting about, either of those places how, here? How do you guys feel about New England secondary right now? Bad. <laughs> do you know who they're having in for a visit today? Uh, Jabril Peppers, I think. Jabril so, Peppers, who asked me five years ago, I would have been like, yeah, cool. Isn't that the guy from Michigan who can do everything? He's like a wide receiver. He's a punt returner. He's a this, he's a that. He's a perfect Patriot. What right. has he done in the league? You know, he drafted by Cleveland, traded to the Played Giants. Joe Judge. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> yep. Friends Malcolm of Bill. Butler's back too. Yeah. So, like Bring- the Butler thing. There's, there was no sign of his game deteriorating. Deteriorating. So that's my I didn't do my voice more. It's like I usually don't. Yeah. No, it's well, you'll listen when you edit this, the microphone. You're you're gonna shoot yourself in the head. The, it's it's yeah. weird though. The, I, I don't know. I'm I'm just I'm just nervous at this point. And I, again, like you said, like you guys both said, there is there is time and there are moves that could be made. It's just the way that the roster is built right now. This isn't a ten and seven team. No chance. Well, I, I think that they, they've definitely taken a step back on talent. Um, the guys who have returned are a year older. James White is post hip injury, so hope hopefully he can give you something. I think that he would be a good safety valve for Mac Jones, something that he didn't really have last year. Mm. Didn't really have. Brandon Bolden was occasionally good, but not a no, safety was, valve. He, a he safety valve, Mike. <laughs> he was good, and now you don't have him. That's the, this is going to be the tough part. No, that's the biggest James loss. White, who's better? That's the biggest loss this year is Brandon Bolden. That's the Anti-tennis. that's the thing. That's the thing is the uh, the hip. That's a very very uh, difficult injury to come back from. But, but I, I think they're going to have to be active at the draft. They're going to they're going to have to be active at the draft. And that's how championship teams are typically built. You know, last couple of years, we've seen some teams be a little 
less active in the draft and be able to build championship rosters. But I'm still of the mindset. If you want, if you want your franchise to be strong and compete year in and year out for championships, you build them at the draft. That's how the Patriots were built. Whether you want to say early two thousands or yeah. Yeah. And the last two drafts, I think have been pretty good. Like Duggar's coming along. Armour was a hit. You still have I mean, that's the thing, too, is I heard Greg Bedard talking about this. It's like these guys from the draft, they don't get a huge chance to play. So you're like, all right, take example. I take, for example, you're moving on from Dante Hightower. Like, you haven't signed it back yet, and I highly doubt he is coming back. But they would have signed. If they signed Devin McCourty and Matthew Slater at this point, they wouldn't sign Hightower back already. But they did because he's getting, unfortunately, he's just getting old and slow, and he just does not move like he used to. Um, so you have a guy like Josh Uche who you saw for like maybe the first two or three games and then just he disappears out of nowhere. Ronnie Perkins is uh, is hurt. You like you got your experience last year through free agency and you still had a pretty decent draft and your draft the year before that was uh, was good. Because like that's the thing is everybody's, you know, getting on Belichick about how he needs to build up the draft and do better drafting. And that's what he's going to do now. He needs to get this team younger. You got experienced guys in through in through free agency last year. Could you have made some better signings than this year? Sure. Like if like if I I, I would have been okay with moving on from Devin McCourty, because that's another guy who's who's getting old and like we can make the argument for Matthew Slater. Sure, like all the all that money could have been flush towards one other position or whatever. Uh, but they're getting younger and they need to get younger. That was a big, like that team lost some freaking gas last, uh, last season. They lost a lot of gas, especially the defense. Got to get younger and faster. That's why I like this Mac Wilson kid. I think he's going to be a lot better at the linebacker position. Well, sorry, Chase Winovich was a defensive end, but I think you're going to get more athletically out of, but Chase Winovich should have been a linebacker. He had the build of a linebacker, maybe not a middle linebacker, but someone who's going to run around the field. He's too small for a defensive end. And that, that's, that's part of the problem is too with, with, with this drafting. Like, yes, they've, they've had hits in recent years. They've also had both tight ends who have been absolutely nothing for this team so far in Asiasi and Keen. You had, you mentioned Perkins, Uche, they don't want to see. They don't want him on the field. I don't. I don't know why, but they don't want him on the field. They did the same with Winovich. Like, they need to start. They they need to hit on more of the picks. It, it's not. It's not just good enough to say, "Hey, we came away with two two good players in the draft." You you need to you need to have contributors. And, and it would be one thing if Asiasi, Keen, Perkins, any of these guys were playing and at least at least doing something but they're not there it hasn't been anything so far anthony jennings is that guy real yeah he's been on the team for two years i was gonna say yeah you have you do have young linebackers right they're just not good right uh oh we don't know if they're not good because they don't play but i think that's an indication that they're not good no but that is it or is it just like a young like i'm sticking hightower in there like hightower you know i know like I know Hightower is more of a middle linebacker, but or Jamie Collins. Why the frick are we bringing Jamie Collins in? Even though Jamie Collins didn't didn't do a terrible job, he did pretty actually a bang up job last year. But that's the thing. So I think that I've, I've learned over the last few seasons that Belichick is definitely the type of guy who he's going to go not necessarily always with his gut, but with who he trusts and and what he trusts and people that he has experience with are obviously like in any 
aspect of life are going to be the ones that you trust the most. So if you've played with Hive Towers played with you for 12 years and this kid's a rookie and he's been in the system for six weeks, he's probably going to want Hightower on the field over the other kids. It's why he has his coaching staff the way he does. It's why he has so much. He's all about having control. And sometimes he gets it right. Sometimes he gets it wrong. I think that the the roster construction right now is incomplete. I'm hoping that he has a plan. I don't know if he has a plan. It's got to be in the draft. That's why I'm not freaking out until we we go through the draft. It's it's again. He's got to he's got to put a team out there. This isn't it. Like, <laughs> there's got to be a you got to fill the roster. So there's really. You had your offseason last year. Like, it is what it is. Not, a lot of these teams don't go on huge sprint spending freeze two years in a row. But like, this year, yeah, sure, they are now. But it's like, look look, look at the Rams. The one splash move that they made was, I'm pretty sure, just trading for Stafford. They, they had all the other Are you last year? Yeah. They acquired Von Miller during the season. Was he cut though, or was he? I'm pretty sure it was a trade, right? Yeah. I know Beckham was caught, and then they obviously signed him, but that's like all in season right. stuff. Right. So, do you guys have any final NFL thoughts? There's still good talent out there, so that they they could end up making a move. I just Bobby I, Wagner's I, still out they, there. Bobby Wagner, Stefan Gilmore still out there. Stefan Gilmore still out there. Yeah, but his wife, I, I expected Stefan to go somewhere because his wife put out that like tweet. And I, I don't like, I'm, I try not to be one of those cryptic, where are you going type guys. But I thought it was interesting. It was like a roller coaster and palm tree. And, and I initially like thought LA for whatever reason, but like uh, Rams, I should say, to be opposite Ramsey. Because I don't think Stefan's Gilmore's market is not as big as it was when you know the contract negotiations were going on with uh, with New England whether it was going to trade him or sign him back in New England or anything his market has gone down exactly 100% it's gone down and and maybe he doesn't come back to New England because he feels like they're the ones that drove down the market value but yeah I'd bring him back I would bring him absolutely back. well I think that's going to be the crop I think that's going to do it for another episode of Moving the Goalposts, episode 75, a Connor Clifton 75. Uh, a, a Justin Haran 75. A no, Ted Harris 75. Has he always been 75? 75. No. No, I think he was like 60. Two he was, was first 60, time, 63. He was 75 his first go around. He was 67 his second go around. I was going to say, I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's Teddy Karras. Vince Wilfork, though, guys. Vince Wilfork. 75. Yep. yep. Um, no Celtics that are 75. I know that for a fact. I, I looked that one up. Red Sox 75s. If, if you guys can get any Red Sox 75s, I'd be super impressed. I only know it because I looked it up beforehand as well. What do you got? Yaxel Rios. Who? <laughs> Who? Who? Is he 2020 or 2021? Ooh. Uh, I think he was last year. I honestly have no idea. That's the thing with bullpens in, in baseball is 
it, it's so up and down every every other year. Like you won't hear of these guys. They'll have one good year and you won't hear from them again. Right. It's either the bullpen arm that is the middle reliever in like the fifth inning for mop up duty, or it's the prospect that comes up for a week because someone's on the injured list. Right. That's what you get in the in the in the seventies. Exactly. Hey you guys, you guys want some uh, NFL HBO news? That was going to be my final blow. Oh, never mind. Awesome. It's all yours. My final blow, boys. Hard knocks this season. The Detroit Lions. We're biting kneecaps on HBO. I, I have never watched a season of Hard Knocks. I don't know <laughs> if I'll watch this season just because really it's I hear about it. I hear the highlights and then I check out the highlights. So I don't <clears> watch the actual show. This one I might watch, though. I'm a big Dan Campbell fan. I'm a big Dan Campbell fan. I mean, we got great content with uh, the in-season uh, season of Hard Knocks uh, with uh, Jim Irsay, the uh, the infamous one-beat uh, We Will Rock You <laughs> chant that <laughs> inspired the Colts. That. That, the in-season one was the only one I haven't watched. Uh, I, I actually... We'll probably do that in the, in the upcoming week or so. But I, I, I think uh, having Dan Campbell <laughs> on Hard Knocks should be like a qualification. It, just, it should just be the new Detroit Lions football show on HBO every every week, every year. I agree. And I Jared agree. Goff on it again, second time. Yeah, uh, he, was, this, he was the first rookie quarterback, I think, to be featured in Hard Knocks, right? Probably. Yeah, yeah had, to, had to be. This from Which, Mike I mean, Reese, by the way. Uh, tight end Johnny Smith plans to spend the offseason in New England as a full participant in the voluntary offseason program. Smith did not do so in 21. He was awaiting the birth of his daughter, and there were COVID considerations related to that. So look for a year two jump from Johnny Smith. I hope so. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think that there are points where they didn't use him enough or weren't using him correctly, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it, there needs to be a jump needs to be yeah hopefully joe judge can design an offense that really does that for him mm. all right well that's going to do it for episode 75 of moving the goalposts as always we want to make sure that you guys are following along throughout the week you can catch me on twitter at nick mara 94 masala is available at mike underscore masala producer extraordinaire me you can follow him at me and a underscore 83 guys both of you now till next time Later, brother. Later, brother. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> All together now.